Other things that are there in your bulletin, don't forget about Sunday is going to be uh, 8, 9.30, 11 o'clock. We, we continue in Luke's gospel. We'll be in chapter 10, and uh, we're going to look at the 70 that are sent out. So looking forward to Sunday morning in our Bible study. And I think, oh, after the service, there's going to be the young adults are serving hot apple cider. And so parents, just help your kids. Uh, when we put everything behind the counter, we kind of blew a... Um, fuse or something. So we kind of got things spread out. So we just want to make sure the kids uh, that you help them uh, as we have plenty of apple cider. It's good. And uh, so stay around. I'll try not to teach too long so we can have some time for fellowship and they can serve you. So free apple cider. Sounds good. It's that time of year, isn't it? Right. So everything else is there in your bulletin. Take a look at it. As Father, we come tonight and I thank you that we're here and that we can just come and as we've given our hearts to you in worship, now we desire to give our hearts to you to be attentive as your word goes forth. And we thank you for uh, godly wisdom given to us through your word because we know that it's not found in the world and it's contrary to the world. And so, Lord, we desire right now to really be attentive to the things that you have to say as we go through uh, these verses And Lord, touch our hearts and help us to apply it in our lives so that we may experience and live that abundant life and good life that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So remember that as we're in chapter 16, we're just about halfway through the book of Proverbs. That Proverbs, it it doesn't have a real smooth flow to it at times. Each verse is a proverb, a single thought, and oftentimes there's a contrasting or comparing thought that's in the verse. So uh, a lot of times the verses speak for themselves. I don't need to really uh, make a long commentary on it, but we're going to go through it and um, we're going to look at it and it's going to be very beneficial for us as certainly as we do. So chapter 16, verse 1, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer to tongue is from the Lord. And you recall that Paul at the end of his life, when he was writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, to be diligent to show thyself approve a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we know that about that same time, when Peter was writing to the church at large, he would say to them in his first epistle in chapter 3, verse 15, that we are to sanctify the Lord in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And what we do is as we continue, just as we're doing tonight, to study the word of God, to grow in God's wisdom and the knowledge of, of, and of God as we grow in the knowledge of the way that we are to live his truths, his precepts, his principles, his commandments given to us, that as we continue to do that, rightly dividing the word of truth, when the time comes, the answer is going to come from him. And oftentimes you guys know that to be true as you're talking with somebody, maybe somebody's going through a hard time or difficult situation. Maybe somebody has a question and because you have continued to study God's word and that's what we are to do. You see, even in the book of Proverbs, that you can read Proverbs over and over and over again. And I know that that I have, and yet I'm still learning it. You can never exhaust the scriptures, and it's a continual thing to just get the word of God not in our heads, 
but allow it to come into our hearts. And then as we are speaking with others, giving counsel, as we are relating truth to them from the word of God, the Lord's going to help you. He's, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So we prepare our hearts for that, the preparation, and then he's going to use that um, when we're talking with others. In verse 2 and 3 goes along with that. In verse 2 we read, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. So in verse 2, man tries to justify so many things that are wrong. Uh, what the Lord thinks and says is really what matters. What the, God's word tells us is what is truth. It's in the book of Judges, as you know, the whole theme of the book of Judges is they did what was right in their own eyes. And as you read that book, it goes from bad to worse, doesn't it? And that's what happens to um, an individual. That's what happens to a family. That's what happens to a nation. When they begin to do things that is right in their own eyes, ignoring the word of God, then they're on a road and they're on a journey that's going to be very difficult. But what you and I, as we study again God's word, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. What's important is, is that we are looking to the word of God to guide our lives. In verse 3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So as we commit ourselves to God, as we commit ourselves to his way, you will be established. It reminds me of when Isaiah came to Ahaz, who was a terrible king there in Judah in chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah. And he said uh, to Ahaz, who was all afraid of this uh, two kings uh, that had aligned the house of Israel and then Syria, Reason and Pekah, those two kings coming together. We're going to come down. We're going to kill him. Um, go and put their own king on the throne and then try to align all three of the nations so they can go against the powerhouse of Assyria. And as Isaiah came to Ahaz, who was afraid he was a terrible king. Uh, he, he was one that wasn't right with the Lord. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. It was Isaiah that said, believe the word of the Lord. These two smoking brands, they're just blowing smoke. It's not going to happen. God's going to take care of reason and Pika, And this alliance isn't going to happen. They're not going to throw you off the throne because God had given a promise to David that the, the house of Judah, the throne of David would be established. But Ahaz didn't believe the Lord. And because of that, it would be Isaiah that said to him, you will not be established. Listen, if you don't believe the word of the Lord given to you, you're not going to be established in the promises and the ways of the Lord, the truth of God's word given to you and given to me. And the way that our thoughts can be established and how we can be established in life is that we are trusting in God's word. We are looking to God's word to guide us in every single area of our lives. So commit your works to the Lord. Your thoughts are going to be established. In other words, we don't have to go through life confused and wondering and, and all of this. Uh, but we are ones that we are established as we continue in the word of God and as we continue in the things of God. And verse 4, the Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Now, as you read this, uh, particularly the second half of the verse, the second part, that even the wicked for the day of doom, you might read that and think, well, that isn't very fair. That, you know, all were made for the Lord, even the wicked for the day of doom. But what we're looking at this is the sovereignty of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God made all. So you for the day of doom, kind of like, ha, 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 you know. But he sent his son because he so loved the world. 
And we know that Peter writes that it's, it's God's will, it's God's desire that none should perish but come to repentance. Now, what that means is it's God's heart that men would turn to the Lord. But we also know that when we speak about the sovereignty of God, which we don't have all figured out, and the reason that we don't, because God is all-knowing, and he has foreknowledge. He knows the end from the beginning, as Isaiah tells us. And in that foreknowledge, he knows those who are going to reject him. So I think in verse 4 here, and even the wicked for the day of noon, he knows those who are going to reject him, those who are going to accept him. Now, that does not you know, nullify that we have a responsibility to respond to the gospel. So in the sovereignty of God, you know, there's all this argument about does he choose us? Do we have a responsibility? Both are taught in the scriptures. And we know that the Lord, that he is completely righteous and he's completely just. And there's going to be a time where we will be all together in heaven, as Revelation chapter 19 says. And we will say all together, as right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, that righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. So verse 5, every proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. It reminds me, doesn't it, what we're going through in Luke's gospel? You see, the religious leaders are joining forces. As we saw in chapter 9, finished the chapter on Sunday, that Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go to Jerusalem where he has told his disciples that I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders, and I'm going to suffer and die, but I'm going to rise again after three days. And those religious leaders would join forces, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. They all joined together, normally they wouldn't really have anything to do with each other. Particularly the two main sect of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they really didn't like each other. Uh, matter of fact, you can see that when Paul got arrested in Acts chapter 20 in Jerusalem, and he would stand before the Sanhedrin council made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, and all he said was something about the resurrection, and they got into this big argument. And it's big scuffle because they were always arguing with one another. And the only time that they got together was to join forces because they were proud of heart, the religious leaders. It was to come against Jesus and to put him to death. There are those today that won't have anything to do with each other, but they will join together to come against you and me as Christians. And they come against the church. And they come against Christ and they won't have anything to do with each other uh, except that they will come against Christianity. And I think that we're going to see that increase in the alliance of those who are proud of heart, have rejected the Lord, that will come together. And, and we know that as verse 5, as they join forces, none will go unpunished. In verse 6, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. But the fear of the Lord, one departs. From evil. So we know that Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20 tells us the soul who sins shall die. So sin is dealt with in Jesus' atonement on the cross, in his great mercy and, and uh, truth and grace that he has provided for you and for me. In verse 7, when a man weighs please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now I was reading one commentator that said, uh, you know, that goodness has. Um, you know, the power to charm and, and win even enemies to himself. And that's not always the case, is it? Because we can try to live peaceably, as Paul writes in the book of Romans, with all men. And then Paul writes, if possible. 
I kind of like that Paul writes, if possible, because sometimes it isn't possible. But as Solomon, inspired by the Spirit of God here, is writing to us, he's indicating that a person of wisdom can avoid many conflicts. And we know that that's true because we've already seen in Proverbs that as we choose words wisely, as we have a soft answer, it's going to you know, uh, put away and avoid conflicts and contentions. When we speak wisely, there's going to be good results and, uh, that are going to happen. As we consider our ways, as, as we look at uh, the way that we travel and how we talk and and being diligent and, and increasing in God's wisdom, good things happen. So a person of wisdom in how we talk with others, how we deal with others, the road that we travel in our own lives, that it will avoid many conflicts that people get involved in because they don't have godly wisdom. And that's so wonderful, isn't it? You know this to be true, that as you live life, you don't go through a lot of conflicts and strife and, and all of that that people in the world do. Because you have Christ, and we have the love of Christ, and we have godly wisdom to guide us uh, through uh, life as we live for him. In verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. And, and we've talked a lot about this, and it's going to be continued to be a theme in the book of Proverbs that, you know what, it's not good to get ahead financially uh, by not being honest or, you know, injustice or whatever. Um, but as you and I live, we are to realize that our riches are in Christ, isn't it? And we may not have a lot of material things or a lot of material possessions, but if you have Christ, you are wealthy. You have Christ in your life, you have tremendous blessing. And that is everything. And as we discuss, you know, even as Jesus would say, that what good is, is it uh, if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? And as we were looking at that, as he's talking about discipleship to his uh, disciples, and he's talking about that having him is what, you know, really life is, and the riches of Christ, and, and all of those things. You see, you can have the whole world, but if you don't have Christ, you have nothing you have nothing. And listen, none of us have any reason to be envious of somebody who perhaps has popularity or fame or prestige or wealth or riches. They don't have Christ. We don't need to be envious of them. We need to be ones that are praying for them. Because whether rich or poor, they need Christ. And this world isn't where it's at. It's knowing him and loving him and coming to Christ what we are going to talk about on Sunday is that we're going to see Jesus as he has left Galilee for the last time. He has set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sends the 70 out. And he starts talking about uh, those who reject him. And he turns to the north and he says, Chorus and Bethsaida and, and Capernaum. How you were exalted to heaven. But will be brought down to Hades. Because the gospel message, what I, I love to give, and I love to talk about God's love and God's grace and how the Lord has provided forgiveness and eternal life to those who turn to him. Part of the gospel message is this. Those who reject him, there's going to be eternal separation. And hell is real. And, and it is forever. 
And Jesus talked more about the day. We'll talk specifically what it means, that day of judgment. He talked more about you'll be cast down to Hades, about hell, than all of the New Testament writers put together. And there are those voices out there that will say, oh, there's no there's no eternal judgment. There's no hell. You know, and they're popular in certain Christian circles. And that is an affront to the cross. To say that there is no eternal judgment, no hell, that's why Jesus came. So we wouldn't have to go to hell. And that's why he came t- and died on the cross so that you and I may be saved. It has never been Christian doctrine to say that there is no hell. But all of a sudden, it's starting to be popular in some circles of Christianity and pastors saying, well, we're not going to talk about that. Jesus had no problem talking about it. And again, it isn't my favorite subject to talk about, but it's something that we need to know. And it's something that we need to be honest about and honest with others about. Because people will come to you and to me, and they've come to me, and I'm sure they have to you, and said, what happens if I don't accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior? That we need to give them the truth. That there's eternal consequences. And the Lord loves you. He's provided eternal life for you. Turn to him. But also we need to understand and we need to proclaim what happens to those who reject him. And that's what he does with the 70s that are sent out. You know, kind of interesting. I was doing a little bit of a study. that 70 sent out. And I thought, why 70? And I think perhaps that in Genesis chapter 10... As the nations are listed, there's 70 nations that are listed. Do you know that? And it's just representative of the time. It reminds me of the time that we're in, that we are to go throughout the whole world given the gospel. It's for every tongue, nations, and peoples. And he talked about those who would reject him. And Jesus, looking up north, said, Oh, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, you are exalted in heaven. The creator of the universe walked in the Galilee region for three years. He walked in their streets. He was in their homes. He brought healing to them. He taught them. He ministered to them. And the creator of the universe made that area for three years, Capernaum, the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. And many turned away from him. And he knew the faces and he knew the families. And he was heartbroken. And I pray for you and for me that we would be heartbroken and we would have broken hearts of those not only that we care for and love, but for those in this community that don't know Jesus Christ. That, Lord, that the time is short. That as they were going out and preparing for the kingdom of God has come. And, and the Lord is here. Messiah is here. That we have privilege and opportunity in this generation and in this day to say the Lord is coming. We don't know when he's coming. We don't know the day or the hour. But we can know the times and the seasons. And, folks, I believe that the coming of the Lord is very nigh. is very near. And there isn't a whole lot of time that's left. And we need to be about giving truth to others and the message of hope and love to others. But also part of that message is a difficult message to give of those who reject the Lord.
So in verse 8, we see that better is a little with righteousness, vast revenues without justice. Verse 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You know, God directs our steps even though we make plans. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with making plans, is there? We make plans. Matter of fact, uh, in our staff meeting, uh, we're getting uh, towards the end of October, we're making plans for the holidays, and we're starting to make plans for next year. We usually make plans about six months in advance. We're already talking about 2017 and and women's conferences and, and men's conferences and all kinds of things that we're starting to get on the calendar, starting to think about. So we can make the plans, but we always desire to be flexible to the leading of the Lord. Because you know how it is. We can make those plans, but the Lord oftentimes will direct our steps in a different way than we thought he would. And it goes with what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 has told us, that remember, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your steps. And I'm so thankful that I can make the plans. I can say, Lord, here's my plans. Here's my desires. This is where, you know, we're planning on going. But Lord, just as Revelation chapter 3 says, that you're the one that opens doors that no man shuts and you shut doors that no man opens. And I know that as we're walking with the Lord and as we're desiring to just yield to the Lord, there are times where he closes the door, doesn't he? He has done it in your life, I'm sure. He has done it in my life and in my ministry. And I have found something out that when he closes the door, don't keep trying to go through it because you're going to end up hitting your face and your nose and it hurts a lot. Realize that he has closed the door. But sometimes he has set an open door before us. And if he's closed the door as you've made plans in your life, there's a reason that he has. And always keep the underlying truth that he wants the very best from you. And he will not withhold anything good from you. And if he's closed the door, it's because he doesn't want you to go through it at this time. Or what it is, the plans, or what you're desiring to achieve isn't good for you right now. And so the Lord wants the very best. And when he opens a door, sets an open door, I want to go through that door. Uh, Lord, direct my steps and where I'm going in life. And that's what makes being a Christian so wonderful. Do you know that? And sometimes people say, being a Christian is kind of boring. And I think, boring? Why don't you come hang out here for a week, you know? See some of the things that, that, you know, are taking place. And, you know, usually somebody who's not really tuned in close to the Lord. It's not being boring being a Christian. It's an adventure. Day by day, moment by moment, walking with him, being open to him. Because he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. It's not always easy. But I can look back and see and be thankful that, Lord, what you've been able to do, I would have never been able to do in my own energies and my own intellect. And, Lord, I'm very thankful. And, Lord, that you've directed me. And he desires to do that with your life as well. Wherever he has you planted, whatever gifts he's given to you, that he desires for you to just allow him to direct the steps that you're to take moment by moment. Uh, day by day, being sensitive and flexible to the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, verse 10, divination is on the lips of the kings and his mouth must not transgress in judgment. Leaders will be held accountable before God. But this reminds me of verse, actually, Jerry brought it up to me right before service uh, as he was hearing Max Lucado on the radio that he was quoting from Proverbs 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. I think that's a good word for us especially with the election just only a couple weeks away, less than three weeks away. Big debate going on tonight. You know, the Lord sits on the throne and he's in control. And it reminds me of the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. It goes along, divination on the lips of the kings. His mouth must not transgress in judgment. You know what it reminds me of? As we're getting closer to the holiday season and to Christmas, that it came to pass, remember Luke chapter 2, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And you see, here is Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He saw himself as Caesar God. He took on that, that title, Caesar of divinity, Caesar God. And he thought he was so powerful. He was so proud. He makes this decree, all the world needs to be registered for new taxes. And he may have thought that he was in control, but he wasn't in control. You know, it's like the Lord is, he's the one that's able to direct. He puts those, as Romans tells us, in authority for his purposes. He's the one that, that you know, ordains those in authority. And it's all for his purposes, coming to the culmination of the Lord to return. And so we can trust in that. We may not like it, but we can trust in it. And here was this proud, powerful king that when he spoke, the whole empire shook and trembled. And they were in transition. And there was this young couple, Joseph with his spouse, wife, Mary, who was only a teenager, probably 16, 17 years old. And the Lord wanted to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth up into Galilee to go down to Bethlehem about 90 miles away. And so all of a sudden, the whole empire was in transition. So God would have his son be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the bread of life being born. God was in control. Because the prophets had said in Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem. And so we can trust the Lord is working. And we can trust him. And we are to pray. And we are to pray for this election. We are to pray for our leaders. We are told that. And we are to cry out to the Lord. And we are to be praying in those situations of our leaders and decisions that they make. And look to the Lord in everything. So good word for us, I think, that is for today. And then honest weights and scales, verse 11, are the Lord's and the weights in the bag are his work. So anytime that we are dealing with others, we are to be fair and just. And not just if you have a business, but if you have the you know, neighborhood kid come over and mow your lawn, you need to deal with them fair and justly. In verse 12, it is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness, and righteous lips are to the light of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. And so our king of kings speaks righteousness, and we need to do the same thing. Stand for righteousness, folks. Stand for truth. You know, there can be a tendency when we're around those at work or family members when we're, you know, out in the field guys or whatever, 
you know, to, to kind of back away from that. Make sure that you stand for righteousness. Stand for what's right. Speak for what's right. Because here I know it's talking about, you know, a king. But dads, leaders of your homes, make sure you stand for righteousness in your home. Make sure that you are one that you're like Joshua. That says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you can determine who it is that you're going to worship. But we're going to worship Jehovah God. And we're going to stand for him. And we're going to stand for righteousness and for the word of God. In verse 14, as messengers of death is the king's wrath. But a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face is life. And his favor is like a cloud of the latter rain. And so a king has the power of life and death. But only a fool would cross him. In verse 16, and how much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And again, we've seen this theme even as David writes in the Psalms. That your word is is more precious, more valuable than gold, than fine gold. How valuable it is that we have this book, the Bible. The word of God given to us. How valuable it is that we're studying it tonight. That you get to read it every day as you have devotions. And I want to encourage you, read your Bibles every day. How valuable it is to gain God's truth and God's wisdom. It's more valuable than all the gold and silver in the world. Because God's word is going to last forever. The gold and silver of the world is what? Going to perish away. It's going to go away. And so we do have something of a great and precious. God's word and God's wisdom. In verse 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. And he who keeps his way preserves his soul. So we are to live and, and travel the highway of holiness. And we are to hate evil. And I hope that we really understand that, all of us. That we don't live life of how much of the world can I be involved in and still be a Christian. But we are to travel the highway of holiness, which is a better way of living. It's the right way of living. And it's the blessed way to live. To say, Lord, I want to live for you. Lord, I want to draw closer to you. I want to know you. I want to please you with my life. I want to be humbled before you. And Lord, to just allow you to direct me and and guide me. Help me to live that life because we can't do it in our own flesh. But he desires to do that. And pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And better to be of humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. We haven't seen anything good, uh, have we, in the book of Proverbs of having a proud heart. Pride, being haughty, being arrogant. And here we see that it's a familiar verse in verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And if, you know, anyone who is prideful, who is arrogant, it isn't going to be too long before there's going to be the sound of a crash. It's a terrible sin, pride is. It's the sin, of course, that caused Lucifer to fall and become Satan because he became prideful. He said, I'll be like God. I'll be like the Most High. I want to sit on the throne. And it's a terrible sin. And yet we need to be careful that we don't have pride in our hearts. That we need to be humble. And again, I just want to remind us that we're being told over and over again. It's like the Lord is saying, getting this down. That if you want to be strong, really in the best sense of the word, uh, then be humble. Oftentimes, what the world tells you and me is being humble is a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, you know... um, you know, they, uh, of a person who uh, is going to fail, uh, who's weak. 
in all of this. Don't believe that. Humbleness and meekness, and meekness does not mean weakness. Do you know that? Meekness means strength under control. And those are the characteristics that we are to take on is gentleness and meekness and humility. We saw that on Sunday as Jesus set that child and said that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then receive one of these children. You receive me. And as you come in childlike faith and as you receive a child in humility, humbled before the Lord and say that, Lord, I'm to be the servant of all. That's where you're great in the kingdom and that's where you're going to really be strong. So don't let the world deceive you. Don't let it deceive me into thinking that you're to be proudful and haughty and arrogant and all of this because it's not a good thing in the eyes of God. And he who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of popular message today in the churches is be happy. So how is it that you're happy? Very simple. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and you'll be happy. The Lord will bless you. And um, verse 21, the wise in heart will be called prudent and sweetness of the lips increased learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. And in verse 23, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. So as we go through these verses that we just uh, read here, that um, we give um, instruction um, from a calm spirit rather than yelling and giving harsh words. And verse 21, verse 22, the way of a fool will lead you astray. So be careful, okay? Be careful. And then we are to continue to speak and grow in God's wisdom. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. You will never exhaust this book. You'll never exhaust the book of Proverbs. I can go through it, and some of you have it in your monthly reading, right? You read a proverb every day, one day of the month. And and you can go through it. I'm constantly learning, constantly learning the Word of God. It always kind of... You know, I'm taken back when somebody says, oh, I've read the Bible. I know the Bible. I went to Bible study. You know, all of this is like, really? Okay. Verse 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. This chapter really emphasizes how we speak, the tone and how we speak. And what we speak is important. And we are to be pleasant. You know, we don't want to be snarky and always harsh and negative and all of this. And as Christians, we are to be pleasant in what we say and how we say it. To be encouraging. To be lifting people up. You know, to be helping people. We, we live in a cynical kind of society and culture today. And we are a people that we can so easily look for the negative things, to be critical, to be judgmental. You know, it's very easy to just start tearing people down. And we, as a church, you know, wouldn't it be horrible if we just, all we did is we came in and we were negative and tearing each other down and getting our digs in and all of this. Who wants that? But what blesses me is when I hear the fellowship out there in the coffee shop and here in the sanctuary, people are happy to see one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another. Isn't that pleasant? 
It's a blessing. We get enough of that, you know, negative stuff out there in the world. But to be able to come here to this place where we can love one another, encourage one another, and be pleasant towards one another. In verse 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of its way of death. And we already saw that right in in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. You can think that this is right. You can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. In verse 26, the person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. And an ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. And a perverse man sows strife, and a whisper separates the best of friends. So as we we look at these verses, words can be like a fire. James writes about that in the New Testament that burns. And, And strife and discord, God hates, we've already seen. And what gossip does, a whisper separates the best of friends. It just does so much damage. It does so much damage. Just stay away from it. In verse 29, a violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. And so again, don't let others drag you into their evil, into their violence. It's a given. In verse 30, he winks his eye to devise the perverse things. He pursues his lips and brings about evil. Just watch out for the person that... Um, loves to deceive, always looking to deceive and, and get one over on people, devising that which is wrong or evil, um, you know, don't have anything to do with it. And then the silver-haired head is a crown of glory, and it is found in the way of righteousness. You know, I didn't give verse 31 a whole lot, you know, a thought until now that I do have silver hair. And um, so um, it's just speaking about those of us who are older and getting gray, that there is to be respect that is given. And you see, those of us who are, all, are older, we have something to give to others, to be able to give some wisdom, to be able to bless others. And, um, and for us who are older, we want to be able to pass that on to the younger, don't we? So the younger are to respect the older and can learn from them, and that's a biblical principle that we see. And then the older, we're not to look down and despise, you know, the the younger, but we're to help them, encourage them. You know, one of the things that I like in the Old Testament is the priests would minister from the age of 30 to 50. And then after 50 years old, what they would do is they would train, as David set up, um, you know, the the priests and the Levites and all of that, um, that they would set up. You know, to where those over 50 would begin to work with and train those in the priestly line when they were 20 years old. They were there to minister to them and help them. And at this stage and at this season of my ministry, you know, being in my 50s now, and, you know, I got a lot of bark left in me. But I look so forward to be able to minister to the younger generation, to be able to bless them and to encourage them to disciple them. I look forward to those who, you know, are up in that youth room. To be able to look forward to them, to encourage them in the things of God and to bless them and to be able to disciple them. And I hope it excites you who are older. You have that to be able to give to your children, to your grandchildren, to whoever the Lord gives to you to be able to minister to. And then in verse 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules the spirit uh, than he who takes the city So what we see here in verse 31, uh, you know, um, or verse um, 
32, that is, that I just read. The anger and being led by anger is not good. It's not good. And I get calls oftentimes from people that, because they have anger issues, the, you know, problems that they've experienced and relationships that have been severed and, um, you know, been ruined because of anger. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5, be angry but do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And that is a good word for any of us that are married. Listen, there are going to be times when you get angry, but you don't sin. You don't cause it to where your wrath, it comes out. And we're to put those things away. He says, put off those things. Wrath and clamor and malice and, and bitterness. Put it away and put on Christ and gentleness and goodness. But if you're going to bed angry, it's going to turn to wrath. And then don't give place to the devil, Paul goes on to say. And he'll use that anger to drive wedges between you and others. And what it means is, is that you give that anger to the Lord like anything else. Malice. Malice is when you sit there and stew about it and that anger builds. And wrath is like a volcano that's about ready to explode. You give it to the Lord and don't be led in your life by anger. And it can be a real problem for people. But it takes humility and giving that to Jesus and saying, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, with this emotion. And some are just more prone to anger. But Jesus is the answer for you. To Lord, help me and fill me with your spirit. Because you can help me. To not be full of wrath and bitterness and anger. Sometimes people aren't angry that comes outward, but that anger is inward. They're just angry in life. They're angry about a circumstance or their past. And I don't want to to make light of the hurts that you have gone through. But the Lord doesn't want you to be full of anger. He doesn't want you to be full of bitterness. And that's why he says to forgive. And that can be one of the hardest things that God has called us to do is to forgive. But he calls us to forgive and it's saying that I'm choosing to forgive and Lord, I need help in that. And you do it over and over, day by day, bit by bit, going to the Lord. Lord, help me. And he's going to supernaturally work in you because that's his will for you. Not to be full of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and wrath and clamor, but gentleness and love and long-suffering so that we can put our hand to the plow, not always be looking back, but to move forward for the kingdom of God and for what he has for us in our life. So, Father, we thank you. As we stop here, Lord, we didn't get as far as we wanted, but, Lord, I thank you for tonight and this chapter and giving us wisdom and, Lord, to, to be able to take it and apply it in our own lives. And Father, as we read your word, it's for us today. And I do pray that tonight, right now, as we close, that you would help us to leave this place being happy because we trust in you. Lord, full of joy, that joy unspeakable. But Lord, I want to pray for, first of all, for anybody who may be here, that Jesus loves you. He died for you. Maybe you've never embraced Jesus in your life. Maybe you've never turned to him for eternal life. That he is your salvation. 
And we know that the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus came. Because he loves you. And he came and he died for you on that cross. He cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price. He was put into a grave and he rose again. And he conquered sin and death. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. He proved that he's the Son of God. He validated what he did on the cross. And salvation comes by faith in him alone. It doesn't come by your goodness. It doesn't come by joining a church or sitting through a Bible study. It comes by surrendering your life to him. And if there's anyone here in this place, or maybe you're listening on live stream or listening to this message on the radio at a later time, that you've never come to salvation. You don't know if you're right with God. You don't know what would happen if your life was to end tonight or tomorrow, if you would be with Jesus in heaven. Will you give your life to Jesus so that you can know that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Will you call upon him as Lord and Savior? It means to repent, quit going the direction you're going, and turn to Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life in right relationship with the Father, right where you're praying. Jesus, I come to you and I give you my life. I confess that I am a sinner. And I believe, as the word has been given to me, that you died on the cross for me. And I ask that you would forgive me and be my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe that you are alive, speaking to me through your word and through the Holy Spirit. And I surrender to you. And I come in faith, believing in you that you're the son of God who died for me and help me to know you and to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for this new beginning in hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And as we conclude the service, I want to be here. I want you to come up and tell me the decision that you made. I want to pray with you and encourage you. But for all of us, if there's anything in our hearts, anger or bitterness, Lord, I pray that you would help the individual right now. Just give it to him. Because he doesn't want you to live that way. Unforgiveness. Just full of wrath. Maybe just angry at something that in the past, past hurts, past circumstances, and it's just eaten away at you. Or it causes you at times to just be very emotional or you just have a problem getting angry and and wrath and you burst like a volcano give it to Jesus say Lord help me I give it to you help me not to be angry and not to sin I don't want the sun to be going down my wrath every day and giving place for the enemy Lord help me whatever it is that you're dealing with tonight with deception with lust with an addiction, whatever it might be, the Lord is here to bring healing. He's here to bring comfort. He's here to minister to you tonight because he loves you. Will you give it to him right now? And I pray for those who right now are giving those things that, Lord, in the honesty of their hearts as they come, you know what their story is. You know what they're struggling with. And, Lord, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to live that life after you, to free us from the things that cause us to be in captivity and bondage, Lord, whatever it might be. 
that truly, again, we could walk out of this place knowing that you love your people and you're with us and your promises are true. And Lord, your, your Holy Spirit is the power for us to live the life that you want us to. So I thank you for tonight. Thank you for bringing us here. And Lord, may we have sweet fellowship and go home just knowing that we are in a good place. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand?